have your Bible with you this morning, we're turning to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter uh, 14. And if you cast your eye to verse 15, we're going to read a few verses together here. And then we're going over into the next chapter, into John's Gospel, chapter 16. Just two chapters this morning. And we're going to be very, uh, very uh, clear in what we speak about today. John's Gospel, chapter 14. And cast your eye, please, to commence our reading at verse 15. This is the upper room. The Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples in these three chapters before he makes his great high priestly prayer in chapter 17. And then he will make his way down through Jerusalem over the Kidron Valley and up into the garden of Gethsemane. And just before he does that, verse 15. And if ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now come over to chapter 16, please, and to verse 7. John's Gospel, chapter 16, and verse 7. And again, he takes up this tremendous subject, and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or beneficial for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show, you, show it unto you. And we'll end our reading there uh, together this morning. If I was to ask you the question, who is the most important person in the world today? I'm sure the responses would be varied. Maybe some people here would say it would be a politician or a prime minister. Maybe others would say it would be some statesman or some individual of high standing. Someone that has influence and power and is so important. Well, I want to say the answer to my question is none of those that may be given today. The most important person in the world today is not a politician, not a prime minister or statesman or superstar. 
the most important and most powerful and the most influential person in the world today is the person of the Holy Spirit. And while he is the most important and most powerful and most influential, he's the most ignored, not only by the world, but by the church. There's no teaching in all of Scripture that is so contentious and so divisive in the church of Jesus Christ today than the truth and the teaching that is in relation to the person of the Holy Spirit. It's been the cause of more conflict, more confusion, and more controversy than any other doctrine found in the Scripture. And I want to say to your men and women, there's a reason for that, because the devil knows that if we operate without the person of the Holy Spirit, no matter what we may do, no matter how busy we may be, no matter how sincere our efforts may be, if we operate without the person of the Holy Spirit, our efforts will be of no use. It's not only a doctrine and a truth that's divisive. In many places today, the person of the Holy Spirit is dismissed and in many places discarded. And in many places today, it's sad to say he's even despised. The person of the Holy Spirit. He has become today the forgotten person of the Trinity. We talk about the Father and the Son, but very, very rarely do we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Often he's forgotten. Many times he's overlooked and frequently he is ignored. Yet he's found and mentioned 86 times in the Old Testament, 261 times in the New John Owen, that great Puritan of a bygone day who was mightily used by the Lord, said these awesome words concerning the person of the Holy Spirit. He said the truth that is in relation to him is the truth where the church of Jesus Christ either stands or falls. Let me say that again. The truth relating to the person of the Holy Spirit is the one area where the church of Jesus Christ either stands our falls. And it's sad this morning that maybe even many here today, we know little or nothing of his person and even less of his power. For that very reason today, I want to tell you that the church, you and I as the people of God, we are in an anemic state in the West today, where carnality is the standard of the day, where lukewarmness and worldliness has permeated and pervaded and even paralyzed the church so much so that the church of Jesus Christ today no longer resembles the church that came out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost. That day when 120 men and women came out of the upper room filled with the Spirit of God, turned the world upside down, my dear men and women, how far we are removed from that Today, we have, had, we have more resources in the church today than we have ever had. And yet the results have never been as poor. I was thinking of the days of Haggai. Haggai said that we have sowed much and brought in little. And that little bit that they, we did bring in, God blew upon it. And all of our efforts in the evangelical church in the West today, with all of our outreaches and with all of our church strategies and all of our plans, we're sowing and we're sowing and sowing, 
but we bring in very little. And my dear friends, today that causes a desire and an urgency in our heart to discover what is the problem. God hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. But the church has changed. And I want to say this morning, whenever you get and I get a mind to inquire of God and begin to seek the Lord and say, Lord, show us what the problem is. Reveal to us, Lord, what the hindrances may be. And like Alan last week was saying, whenever we begin to seek the Lord and to ask him, he will always show us. You see, we hear the language today, well, that person's a very hard person, or those sinners are very hard sinners. My dear men and women, the problem is not that sinners are getting more wicked. The problem today is that the church has got so weak. That's the problem. And you and I, as the people of God, we have to discover what is the issue. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said many years ago that the church of Jesus Christ can no longer say what Peter said in Acts chapter 3 as he made his way with John up into the temple of the hour of prayer and they saw a man impotent lying there. He was helpless, he was hopeless. And Peter turned to him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. My dear men and women, today you look at the society in which we live. You look at the area in our nation this morning and it seems to be that very few of us have anything to give a dying world. It seems to be the day that we have very, very few men and women that can meet the need of the area, of our communities and our families, the places where we work with the people at whom we live. And I want to say one reason among many other reasons for that today, for that decline, for that anemic state, for the weakness, for the coldness, for the apathy, for the lukewarmness that has pervaded and paralyzed the church, one reason among many is the attitude that you and I have had to the person of the Holy Spirit. We ignore him. We even forget about him. And I feel this morning many of us have fallen foul of the sin of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, of those that have done despite to the Spirit of grace. That word despite is the word to insult the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning as I have Beat this out before the Lord, that many even here and many that will listen, whether in CD or on the internet, many of us here today could be guilty of insulting the Holy Ghost. To fall foul of that sin, I can tell you, dear men and women, will leave a barrenness and a coldness in the heart of God's people that cannot be covered over, cannot be ignored. If I was to ask you this morning to give a description of God the Father, even many here this morning that are maybe only saved, you would be able to give a good, accurate description of him. He's the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, and on and on we could go. If I was to ask you to describe the person of the Lord Jesus, my, how we would rise in our eloquence and our vocabulary and the verses that we could bring from the Old Testament and the New But if I was to ask this morning to describe the person of the Holy Spirit, how many of us would find it a challenge? How many of us would find it difficult to talk about this blessed third person of the Trinity? And I say again, that's one of the reasons for the state in which we are today. Dr. Walter Wilson was a surgical doctor. 
He was saved as a young man. He became a, became a Bible teacher. He became a very zealous evangelist and giving out tracts and doing doors and street work. And after a number of years, Dr. Walter Wilson became disturbed about his ineffectiveness in the things of God. He couldn't understand why there seemed to be so little results in his ministry. How was it that there was very few people got saved? How was it there wasn't a weight with his words when he spoke? How was it that men and women went on challenge whenever he preached and whenever he taught the Scriptures? And his friends sought to encourage him and said, Walter, just keep sowing the Word. Just keep casting your bread upon the water. And God will look after the results. But deep down inside Walter Wilson's heart, he knew there was an issue. I wonder, does that describe you? After a number of months, one of his friends, who was a missionary in France, came to stay at Walter Wilson's house. Walter began to share with his friend about the, the desire of his heart. He began to talk to him about his work and preaching and tracts. And he said, after all that I have done, and after all of the hours of labor and the hours that I put into serving the Lord, there seems to be very, very little and very, very few results. That missionary friend of Walter Wilson's turned to him with one question. He said, Walter, what is the Holy Ghost to you? And Walter Wilson, after thinking for a moment, gave a sound theological answer. Maybe the answer that many of us here this morning would give. He said, he's one of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity. His missionary friend turned to Walter and he said, Walter, that's what he is in the Bible. But my question is, what is he to you? What is the Holy Ghost to you? And Walter Wilson, after a moment of thinking, this is the answer that he gave. He is nothing to me. I have no knowledge of him. I have no relationship with him. And as far as I know, I could live without him. My dear men and women this morning, I wonder, is that the very diagnosis that God would give you and I? I don't know him. I have no relationship with him. And as far as I know, I could live without him. Walter Wilson's missionary friend turned to him again and he said, Walter, it's because of this very fact that your ministry is fruitless. No matter how much you sow, no matter how many efforts you make, until you get to know the person of the Holy Spirit, you will remain barren and empty and dry. My dear friends, this morning, it was someone who said many years ago, theology without an experience is like faith without works. It's dead. And many of us here this morning, we have our theology. There's many of us here this morning, we can dot our I's and cross our T's, and we could argue the great doctrinal truths of the Bible on salvation and redemption. But my dear men and women, theology without the experience of knowing the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Theology without an experience is like faith without works. It's dead. For that very reason, 
Many of us here today have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. That word form is the word that's used whenever a sculptor is making an image, maybe out of wax or out of stone. And it's a replica of a person. They have the same eyes and ears. The features are all there. But there's no life, no animation power, no authority. And my dear friends this morning, the reason why Britain is the way she is today is not because of the prime ministers. It's not because of men and women that are doing wickedly. It's because you and I, and I put myself this morning in the front of that list, have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Because many of us have forgotten about the person of the Holy Spirit. We ignore him, we forget him, we overlook him, we maybe even despise him. I wonder, do we do it like Hebrews chapter 10, 29, do we insult the Holy Ghost? There's not only the neglect of the Spirit, but there's the names of the Spirit. The first thing that you'll ever do whenever you get to know someone is to know their name. What's your name? There's over 25 names in the Bible that are given to the person of the Holy Spirit. I haven't got time to go through them this morning. But whenever you get your Bible during the week, lift it down and study this tremendous personality. He's described as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Spirit of liberty. And above all the names that have been given to him, the one that is used more than any other name is the Holy Spirit. And my dear friends, this morning, that's the reason why you and I as the people of God ought to be a holy people. Because God has given us his Holy Spirit. But there's another name that's given to him. Not only the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of liberty. In John's Gospel, there's a name that has been given to this blessed person and is found in John 14, 15, and 16. You'll not find it anywhere else in the Bible. It's the name that the Lord Jesus gave the Holy Spirit in the upper room before he went out and was betrayed by Judas and the next day crucified. He gave the blessed Holy Spirit this name, the Comforter. And my dear friends, this morning, let me say a word to some mother here today or some individual, whoever you may be, that's in the storm and in the trial and in the affliction. That word comforter is the word paraclete. It means for someone to draw alongside and to help. I was out with a walk with Emily last, last night. She's taking her down the footpath, trying to tire her out before she goes to bed to get a bit of sleep. And you know, as she came to the little curb, we were crossing the road, and she came to a curb, and her little feet couldn't rise above it. And I put my hand down, and I lifted her, took hold of her hand, and you know what I did? I drew alongside, and I helped her, just to help her over that little height. And my dear friends, this morning, there's some of you here, and you've come to a height in your life, and you've come to a hill, and you've come to a wall, and you're finding the hill hard to climb. Well, I want to tell you that the blessed third person of the Trinity, the spirit of grace, the spirit of truth, the spirit of liberty, and the spirit of power, he's the paraclete, the one who draws alongside and helps, helps in the storm, helps in the trial, Helps in the affliction. Maybe that's the cry of your heart this morning. 
Lord, I need help. And thank God he's a very present help in the time of trouble. But not only does a paraclete be one that comes to help, he's one that comes along to strengthen. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And you could be in a situation in your life almost where you're ready to give up, almost ready to stop praying, almost ready to pull back, almost ready to throw in the towel. My dear men and women, always remember this, that the person of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, he draws alongside not only to help, but he draws alongside to give strength. Is that what you need today? Strength. But there's another meaning of the word paraclete. It's not only one that comes to help and not only one that comes to strengthen. It's one that comes along to stir up. Now I hear two men, two individuals talking about the ministry of the lifeboat recently. I don't know if they know this. But they said, you know, we don't really like the stirring up ministry in the lifeboat. My dear men and women today, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a stirring up ministry. You remember what the Spirit did in the the book of Haggai? When the church was lying and the temple was lying in desolation and dismay, and there was nothing but rubble, no life, no power, no freedom, it said the Spirit of the Lord stirred up the Spirit of Zerubbabel and the Spirit of Joshua and the Spirit of all the people. And you know what they did? They put their shoulder to the work. And I pray today, as I've been praying for my own heart, that that blessed person of the Holy Spirit, the one who many of us ignore, many of us have forgotten, many of us even dismiss at times, that he will come and not only help us and not only strengthen us, but that he will stir us. Stir us out of our carnality. Stir us out of our apathy. For the Spirit of God to come. But that word comforter, it's not only the paraclete. It's the same word that's used in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father. My dear men and women, you and I, whenever we sin, whenever we let the Lord down and we come to the Father and we say, Lord, I've led you down. Thank God there's one at the Father's right hand who represents us in the heavenly sphere. The one who ever lives to make intercession on our behalf, he's our advocate. He represents us there. But here's something, I don't know if you've ever discovered it or not before. The Holy Spirit has an advocate. While the Lord Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit is his advocate who comes and represents Christ to us. He's the one that makes Christ real to us. He's the one that comes to make Christ real in us. He's the one that comes to manifest and glorify Christ through us. That's the advocate. And my dear men and women, that ought to be the desire of our heart. Paul said this, that God separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me. And that moment that we get saved, the Holy Spirit enters and I was born of God and he comes to make Christ real to us. I don't know if Christ is real to you. Maybe he's just a a religious name. Maybe he's just a personality in some distant sphere. But the more that you and I get to know the person of the Holy Spirit, the more that he comes and reveals to us the blessed person of the Lord Jesus, that's why he's called the Spirit of Christ. He comes to reveal Christ to us. He comes to reveal Christ in us. And he comes to manifest him and glorify him through us. 
to make you and I Christ-like. Do you know that you can't make yourself a good Christian? There's many of God's people today and they say, if I could pray more, if I could read more, if I could get to more meetings, my dear men and women, all of that is good, but you can't make yourself a Christian. It's only the Holy Ghost can make Christians. It's only the person of the Holy Spirit can make a Christian. That's why the Bible called them Christians first in Antioch, Christ in me. And whenever you and I open our lives to the Holy Spirit, whenever we give him full dominion, full access, every room, every ambition, every desire, he comes and he reveals Christ to us. That's why we gather around the table, because he's real. And then he comes and he reveals Christ in us. He makes us like him. And then he comes and manifests him through us. That men and women can see the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how many prohibitions you put on your life. I don't care how many restrictions you put on your life. You cannot make yourself a Christian. You can only become a Christian and a spiritual Christian whenever you open up to this personality and you say, Holy Spirit, come and live through me. Come and change me, Lord. Deal with those old ambitions. Deal with the anger. Deal with the lust. Deal with all of the sin of carnality. Blessed Holy Spirit, come. The paraclete, the one who has come to strengthen, the one who has come to assist, the one who has come to stir up. And my dear men and women this morning, the person of the Lord, Holy Spirit always does a good job. But there's not only the neglect of the Spirit, and there's not only the names of the Spirit, I want you to think for a moment today about the nature of the Spirit. You know, whenever you and I get to know someone, after we learn their name, we want to know what they're like. We want to spend time with them. We want to know past the facade and what others see. We just want to get alone and we want to get to know whether it's a husband or a wife or your children or a friend. You just want to be intimate. And my dear men and women this morning, you and I as a people of God, we not only need to know his names, and we should know them, we would need to know what he's like. And there's many descriptions in the Bible, and one of the best ways that you'll discover what the person of the Holy Spirit is like is to take the symbols that represent him in the Bible. Now just hold on this morning. You'll remember whenever the Lord Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And whenever he come up out of those waters of the Jordan, John said this, I saw the Spirit descend upon him like a dove, and he remained upon him. And the Holy Spirit is like a dove. The dove is a clean animal. The dove is a bird that is easily scared, easily frightened, easily disturbed. You remember whenever Noah opened the window of the ark, and he opened the window and he let out a raven, but the raven didn't come back because a raven is an unclean animal. It rests upon all the carcasses of the dead. But then he opened the window and he let out the dove, and the dove, after a period of time, come back because it had nowhere to rest its feet. It couldn't rest upon defilement. And then the dove came back, and then it came, let it out again, and it came back with a little bit of a branch in its mouth. The dove is a clean animal. Now let me say this to you, dear believers, this morning. You and I have been given the Holy Spirit the moment that we got saved. The moment that you got saved, your body became his temple. You were stamped with the ownership of the Holy Spirit. We were sealed with that personality. And my question is not to you this morning, do you have the Holy Ghost? My question to you today, do you have, does he have all of you? Like someone in a great house. 
And they could be invited in and they come into the hall and you could show them there the photographs and you could say, well, just wait here. He's in the house, but he's not in every room of the house. And my dear friends, this morning there's many across the evangelical church today. They have theology. But oh, how few know the person. And again I say, theology without the experience is like faith without works. It's dead. Dead. And if you and I want the person of the Holy Spirit to come into every room, if you and I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, if you and I want to be animated and controlled and endued and be on fire for Him, I'll tell you what you'll need to be. You'll need to be clean. You'll need to be clean. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. 2,500 years after Noah opened the window of the ark and led the dove out, 2,500 years later, the dove found a resting place for its feet. Whenever the Lord Jesus came up out of the waters of the Jordan, the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon him, and it says, remained. You know why he remained? Because he was the holy, harmless Son of God. He was clean. And there's many of us here today, and we want to go through with God, I'm sure of that, and thank God for it. But if we come to an area in our life and it's not clean, whether it's our conduct, whether it's our language, whether it's our mind, my dear men and women, the dove will not rest on that area. He'll not rest. The dove is easily frightened, easily disturbed, very sensitive. I think it was that very image that Paul had in his mind whenever he was writing to the church at Ephesus. And he said, grieve not the Spirit of God. Don't disturb him. Don't hurt him. Don't insult the Holy Ghost. And Paul says, whatever you do, don't grieve the dove of heaven. And if you take your Bible and read Ephesians chapter 4, in that chapter where it's mentioned, it'll give you the context. Because whenever you and I grieve the Holy Ghost, it's talking about sins, sins of commission, things that you and I do that grieve. And these are some of the sins that are found in Ephesians chapter 4, corrupt communication, anger, lying, backbiting and gossip, evil speaking, pride, uncleanness, And fleshly activity, my dear men and women. And one of the prayers have been, oh, Holy Spirit, come. And my dear men and women, he would love to come. But so many of us here, and even myself, as I've got down before the Lord, how many of us can be guilty of backbite? How many of us can be intoxicated with pride? Pride in how we pray. Pride in how we preach. Pride in our, our service and our zeal. Pride to go to the prayer meeting. Pride to have a hat on your head. Pride to carry a King James Bible. Pride to wear a suit. Pride to come to the lifeboat. And my dear men and women, the dove is hovering, but he can't rest. Can't rest. He would love just to find a resting place. Grieve not the Spirit of God. Sins of commission. I tell you, dear men and women, this morning, whatever you do, go through your life and say, Blessed Holy Spirit, is there any area in my life whereby I grieve you? You know, dear friends, and I'll say it to you this morning, maybe no one else will tell you, 
But you see, whenever you get up out of the meeting and walk away from the Lord's table, do you know what you do? You grieve the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll tell you that this morning as your friend. Don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. We grieve him when we lie. We grieve him when we lust. We grieve him when we're intoxicated and prayed and I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Let me tell you, you're a grief to God. But there's not only in the Bible talks about grieving the dove, it talks about quenching the dove. In Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, Paul said, quench not, quench not the Spirit. To grieve the Spirit is by what we do. We quench the Spirit by things that we don't do that we should do. And my dear friends, this morning, it's a good thing to go through our lives and to scan every area and say, Lord, what is it that in my life that I don't do that I should do? And there's areas I'm sure in all of our lives we should praise Him more, we should worship Him more, we should pray more, we should be more dependent upon Him. But all of those areas in our lives can quench and grieve the dove of heaven. So He can't work the way He would love to work. You remember Samson, that man that was mightily used by God, and he grieved the Holy Ghost. And it says the Spirit of God departed from him, could no longer use him in the way that he used to use him. In Isaiah, you'll discover that they vexed the Spirit of God and rebelled against him. And my dear friends, I'm putting that out to you today, no matter who you are, don't grieve the Holy Ghost. Don't quench him. Because you'll not only hinder this assembly, you'll hinder revival. But not only is he described as the dove, he's described as the wind. In John's Gospel, chapter 3, the Lord Jesus said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou canst hear the sound, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, there is the sound of the mighty rushing wind. Oh, what a wind, 3,000 souls saved. In Acts chapter 4, they preached again, and the wind blew, and 5,000 were saved. Whenever, whenever Philip went down into Samaria and preached unto them Christ, you know what happened? The wind blew, and the whole city turned to God. Whenever Paul went to Ephesus and preached the gospel, and the power of God rested upon him, not with the wisdom of men's words, but in demonstration of the power, spirit and of power. You know what happened? The wind blew. And after 30 years, it turned the world upside down. We need the wind to blow. It was Gibson, that noted historian, said this in his book, The Demise of the Roman Empire. He said it is all related to one area, and that is this. The church of Jesus Christ had power. The wind blew. Thank God in 1859 the wind blew. But oh, I thank God that the wind's going to blow again. Thank God the wind will blow. Thank God the dove will come. Thank God that the Spirit of God is more willing to bless us and revive us and move among us maybe than we are even to ask Him to come. And the Holy Spirit is a sovereign God, part of the Godhead, and He will blow again. Hallelujah. Mother, he'll blow on your family, keep praying. He'll blow on your children, keep praying. June was in here the other night and she was praying for a boy. June, keep praying. The wind will blow. The Spirit of God will come. But he's not only the wind and he's not only the dove, he's the fire. The fire. 
the fire of the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jesus and John the Baptist could say of him that there's one cometh after me that is mightier than I of whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Fire! Oh, men and women, how we need the fire again. How we need that emblem of the Holy Spirit to rest upon our heart. The fire! And Samuel Chadwick said the symbol of the church is not a cross. The cross is a symbol of death. The symbol of the church is fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And the fire of God is the answer I can tell you, dear men and women, whenever you and I get down before him and say, Holy Spirit, take every area of my life and like that burning bush away out in the backside of the wilderness, burn it all up. Burn up all my ambitions. Burn up all the pride. Burn up all of the gossips. Lord, will you set me in fire? And the Spirit of God came. I was thinking of this this morning. The Lord just shot it into my mind. You'll remember Peter. Peter in John's Gospel, chapter 18, he's warming himself at the world's fire and he's defeated. Three chapters later in John chapter 21, he's standing at the Lord's fire at the side of the Sea of Galilee. The Lord had a little fire there and he had fish prepared. He knew what it was to be at the world's fire. He knew what it was to be at the Lord's fire. In Acts chapter 2, Peter himself, he got on fire. Have you got the fire? Oh, you may have theology, but have you got fire? Have you got a zeal to pray? Have you got a desire to witness? Have you a desire to put your shoulder to the wheel and say, whatever I do, Lord, I'm going to get in behind the work and I'm going to stand. I'm going to put all of my zeal and energy into it to be sold out for God. It was Wesley who said these lovely words, O thou who comest from above, the pure celestial fire in part, Kindle the flame of sacred love upon the mean altar of my heart. Oh, there let it for thy glory blaze an inextinguishable flame and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. The celestial fire. It was seat he stood who said, Oh, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And oh, when I'm dying, how glad I will be. If the lamp of my life was blazed out for thee. John Wesley used to pray with his ministers. And he said, Lord, set them all on fire and men will come and watch them burn. My dear men and women, let us get on fire for God. Let us say, O Spirit of grace and power descend. Baptize us with power today. And like a mighty rushing wind, sweep over our hearts today. He's not only the fire, and he's not only the dove, but he's described in the Bible as water. Have you ever been out of thirst? Ever been thirsty? You ever longed in the heat of the day to drink a drop of cool, cold water just to refresh yourself? And my dear friends, this morning I want to tell you that whenever you and I, and I'm not talking about a filling once in your life, I'm talking about every day yielding and surrendering to God, just taking it by faith and saying, Spirit of God, fill me. He'll not only come as a gentle dove, he'll not only come as a purifying fire, he'll come as a refreshing water. Do you need to be refreshed? Would you love in your Christian existence say, Lord, I want a freshness in my life? In John's Gospel, chapter 4, he's described as the wells of living water. In John, chapter 7, he's described as the rivers of living water. 
In Jeremiah chapter 31, the Lord said, And he shall make your soul like a watered garden. I will pour water in him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the high places and fountains in the midst of the valley, and the wilderness shall become a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. My dear men and women, do we have theology without the experience? Do we know what it is to have the water? To have that fresh intimacy with him? To have that spring in her step? And I know it's hard. I know that. Don't, you don't have to tell me. But oh, what a blessed place is just to rest on him. Finally, he's not only the wind and he's not only the fire and he's not only the dove. He's described as the oil. In Exodus chapter 30, the Lord told Moses to take the oil, make oil out of five ingredients. It was called the holy anointing oil. And the Lord told Moses, there's nothing like it. There's no replica. There's no substitute. And he says, whenever you get those five ingredients together, he says, you anoint the king, anoint the priest, anoint the tabernacle, and then I will be able to use them in service. And my dear friends, this morning, whenever the Spirit of God takes full control and we yield and we're like a bucket that leaks, I know that we have to keep on the altar. We have to keep surrendering. We have to keep giving it over to him. He'll come as the wind and the fire and the dove and the water and he'll come as the oil. There'll be a fragrance about the life. You remember in John chapter 12, whenever Mary came in and Martha was serving and Lazarus was sitting, and it says that Mary came, then Mary came. She broke the alabaster box and it says the the house was filled with the odor. My dear men and women, to have a life that is filled with the odor, to have a life that men and women says there's a mark upon that individual. There's something of the Spirit of God resting with them. There's something of the presence of God that they carry. And you all know, I'm sure, men of a bygone day, the very atmosphere was changed when they came into our midst. Men that used to pray and God came down. There was an aroma. There was the oil. My dear friends, this morning we need the oil. David said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And Psalm 23 says, he anointeth my head with oil, and then my cup runneth over. And many of us here today, we have a barren cup. We have a little drop in the bottom of the cup. But it's whenever you have the anointed head that you'll get the full cup. And I want to encourage you today to seek after him, to seek that the Spirit of the Lord will come And not only have one little area, not just have the waiting room in your heart, but to throw it open and say, Lord, I'm abandoning myself to God. Because there's not only the the neglect of the Spirit, and there's not only the nature of Him, and there's not only the names that He has. I want to tell you, dear friends, there's a need. There's a need. And the greatest commandment in all of the New Testament is not do this in remembrance of me. And that's a good commandment. The greatest commandment in the New Testament is not to be baptized. And that's a good commandment. The greatest commandment in the Bible is not do not kill, do not steal. I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because whenever you're filled, you'll stay around the table. Whenever you're filled, you'll be baptized. 
Whenever you're filled, you'll love the Lord thy God the way that we ought to love him. Whenever we obey that one commandment, automatically we'll seek to obey every other commandment. And the reason why so many of God's people don't obey God in the pattern of the church, the reason why men and women don't obey and submit to the word of God is, you know why? I'll tell you why. So few are filled with the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you a question. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Does he control you? You see a drunk man walking down the street and he'll be swaying one side to the other and you'll not even need to talk to him. You'll just say, there's a man and he's controlled by alcohol. He's under the influence of drink. And my dear men and women, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, it just simply means to be under his control, to be under his authority, to be under his lordship, that whatever he said in his Bible, because he wrote the Bible, he's the inspirer of the scriptures, and whatever he says... We ought to do, because when we don't do it, we grieve and quench the Spirit of God. My dear men and women, how different we all would be. How different our homes would be. How different our marriages would be. How different this assembly would be. How different our relationship with others would be if the blessed dove had full control. If there was the fire and the wind and the water and the oil, how different we all would be. You said to me, Stephen, that's the need of my heart today. Stephen, I have theology, but I don't, I don't recognize that person. And like Walter Wilson I know about him in the Bible, but I have no experience of him in my life. I have no relationship with him. And as far as I know, I could live without him. If that's your situation this morning, you say, Stephen, how can I be filled? Well, I'll just give it to you as a close. You'll need to confess all known sin. All of it, not just some of it. You'll need to thirst because they that are hungry and thirsty shall be filled. You'll need to surrender like we talked about last week and give it all over to God. And then you'll need to take it by faith. And if ye being evil know how to give a good gift, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? Breathe on me, O breath of God, till I am wholly thine. Till all this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. We're not going to sing a hymn this morning as we close. But maybe that's the need of your heart today. You say, Lord, I'm glad that I'm saved and I'm glad that he, I have him, but Lord, my life shows that he doesn't have all of me. My dear friends, that's what you have to have, to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to bow in a moment of prayer. And those who are not staying, make your way out quietly today. If you want a word with us, we're here to help you all that we can. And then we're going to stay and remember the Lord. But we're just going to take a little moment of silence. 
Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart today. Maybe God has laid his finger in some area of your life. You say, Lord, hitherto that area is not yielded. Well, even on the seat where you sit, you, you talk to God. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know you. I want you to come and make Christ real to me. I want you to come and make Christ real in me. I want you to come and glorify Christ through me. Father, we thank you for the sense of your presence this morning. We thank you for that blessed person of the Trinity in our midst. And Father, we know that your desire is that he would have full dominion, that he would have full sway of the heart. And Lord, we pray today that that will be the desire of every one of us to go through. Lord, that you would radically change our homes. Lord, that you would radically change our testimonies at work. Lord, that you would come and even our children would notice a difference. Lord, that you'll deal with anger and with the temper. You'll deal, Lord, with those sins of the flesh that crop up again and again and mar our testimony. We pray that he, the spirit of grace and love and power, will come and reveal Christ in us. The wind of the fire and the oil and the dove and the water will be manifest through us. We repent of our neglect this morning. We repent of overlooking the co-equal, co-eternal person of the divine Trinity. And we pray even as we gather around the table to remember your son that our worship would rise in spirit and in truth. And Father, that every single one of us, oh, will lay our all before thee. We ask it in this precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're not staying for the table, just to make your way out quietly. I'll be in the room at the back if you want to have a word with us and then... I'll maybe ask a brother to call out a hymn and get us started around the table. Thank you.